came back again. <laughs> I wasn't expecting. No. Uh, before I get started, I want to say something I said in the first service. Uh, it was really wonderful for me. I had a couple weeks break before Easter, and man, to sit out there and listen to Pastor Kim and Pastor Pete just, you know, take God's word express it so powerfully and effectively and 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 i love the fact that god has blessed me this is a personal gift for me uh, a team like like pastor kim pastor pete that love god love his word and believe that that when we present to you accurately god's word that, that's the very best gift we can do so uh, again I, I just appreciate what i want i love being able to sit and take in <laughs> yeah Well, the series we're starting is called The Paradoxes of Life. And uh, when you think about it, the fact that we are here today, this time in human history, gathering the way we're gathering, it, it is a bit of a paradox because we're here because of an ancient nation named Israel. Uh, we have this book called the Bible. It's, it's 66 books, individual books, that are presented to us by this ancient nation called Israel. Now, Israel is interesting in a number of ways, but, but just to give you a little something to think about, they existed as a nation for about 1,500 years. And then a Roman general named Titus, he came into Jerusalem in 70 AD. He surrounded Jerusalem. They presented a, a siege against it, crucified about 100,000 Jews ultimately, destroyed Jerusalem. But with the destruction of Jerusalem came the destruction of the entire nation. So picture, this would be as though an enemy came against the United States conquered us and then the United States went out of existence Israel ceased to be a nation for 1878 years from that point now the Bible kept insisting that they would be restored someday at the latter days the time just before God intervenes the second time and in May 4 on May 14th 1948 after Adolf Hitler had done everything in his power to destroy every Jew on the planet Israel was born again as a nation May 14th 1948 yeah, 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 it's extraordinary, it really is. So we're here because of these Jewish people in this tiny little nation. It's like the size of Connecticut. It's remarkable. There's only about 9 million Jews in the whole nation. of Israel. They, they were a real phenomenon. So here's the big question I'm leading up to, though, because I've had this one asked me frequently through the years, and it is a good one. It is this. How could the Jews possibly have missed their Messiah. That word Messiah, Messiah, or slash Christ, they mean the same thing. In other words, all through their scriptures, their 1,500 years of assembling the Old Testament, God kept giving them fragmental pictures of what this Messiah, what this Christ was going to be like, where he was going to be born, what he was going to do, how he was going to teach, even his sacrifices laid out in scripture. And yet when he came, <laughs> the vast majority of them they missed him. And don't get me wrong, the very first Christians, all of the very first Christians were in fact Jews. But nevertheless, the mass of the Jewish people, they, they missed their Messiah. How could this happen? How could you be watching? How could you be eagerly waiting for somebody for 1,500 years? And then when they come, you miss it. And more, a more profound, a more, a more tormenting question. What about the Jews today that after all the compelling evidences, they still sit in darkness when it comes to the Messiah how could this happen I want to give you uh, a pretty clear formula on exactly how it could happen and here's the deal it's important because what happened to them is something that tends to happen to all of us as human beings and so we, we need to be aware of this phenomenon here's what it is the Jews had what I call subjective selective perception let me explain what I mean 
when they read their scriptures, when they looked at the pictures of Messiah that were prophesied, predicted, they looked at them selectively. There was only certain facets of the Messiah that they were interested in. Here's what I'm saying. The Jews, for example, when they started, they were in bondage to the Egyptians. They, they were, right from the start, they were completely dominated by these Gentile powers. From the domination of the Egyptians, they had some freedom for a time, but then in 722 B.C., the Assyrians came and conquered them. Then in 586 B.C., the Babylonians came. Then after the Babylonians came the Persians. After the Persians came the Greeks, Alexander the Great. After Alexander the Great came the Romans, who were oppressing them during the time of Jesus. So when I say selective reading, here's what I mean. The Jews were so sick of being bullied politically by Gentile domination that when they read the pictures of the Messiah, they only fixated on those ones that talked about the Messiah is going to be the one to, to throw off Gentile domination, make Israel the capital of the world, and Israel or Jerusalem the capital of the world, and Israel would dominate all nations. So Every Jew that was looking for the Messiah, they were looking for a Messiah that was going to make them powerful, prestigious, load them with wealth. They would suddenly, their exterior circumstances would become the grandest imaginable. That's the Messiah they were fixated on. So they had subjective, selective perception. They, they didn't want to read those portions like Isaiah 53 that talked about this sacrificial suffering Messiah. They, they were not so interested in that. Now, when you have subjective, selective perception, it leads to inaccurate, unrealistic expectations. They were expecting a Messiah that was going to show some military political muscle. And Jesus, though he showed tremendous power, I mean, you still a storm with a word, that's power. You raise the dead three times, that's power. You open blind eyes, that's power. Nevertheless, he wouldn't take that posture that they were looking for. They wanted to see a political stand. When they came and arrested him, I'm sure they, they were just waiting for him to turn on them, wield his power, overthrow the Roman Empire, but it, it just never happened. And of course, he goes to the cross. Now, here's why this is important to us. I'm gonna circle back, but I wanna teach you a principle. Most of us know it, but don't know it. And it's this thing about expectations. The quality of your life, my life right now, is dictated to a great deal based on our known and unknown expectations. Every one of us has a set of expectations. And when those expectations are unrealistic and therefore they don't get fulfilled, we get disappointed. And with disappointed, disappointment comes discouragement and can even lead to depression. If we have realistic expectations, they come to pass. When they come to pass, we feel better. Let me give you an illustration. You have an appointment, a doctor's appointment, let's say. I'm not saying you do. I'm just, you know, it's just a, a figment of speech. So you know you need to be there at 8.30 in the morning. So you make every, every you know, kind of plan so that you know, okay, it takes me 20 minutes to get from my house to get to the appointment, and you know that's a pretty safe thing. So you get ready for your appointment on that day. You allow yourself 20 minutes. You get 10 minutes in, into your drive, and all of a sudden, the traffic comes to a screeching halt. How many have ever had that happen? Now, you were expecting... A typical drive and you were going to sail right through and you were going to make it to your appointment on plenty of time but all of a sudden you're stuck in traffic it stopped dead you don't even know when it's going to start up again can I can I ask what you might be feeling at that moment how many how many feel you're a little irritated a little exasperated a little frustrated maybe angry how many are a little bit low grade at least at least low grade anger let me see your hands confession is good for the soul okay now 
Inwardly, you gotta, you gotta follow this. Life is truly governed inwardly. We think it's governed outwardly, but it's not. We think if we get the circumstances that we want, we'll feel happy, we'll have joy, we'll have peace, but that's not true necessarily. Life is governed. The quality of my life and your life is governed by our inward condition. So if my expectations are flawed, I end up irritated, exasperated. I end up angry. But now let's play that thing back. So now I have to get to the appointment, you know, at uh, 8.30 or whatever I said it was, and I know it's going to take 20 minutes to get there, but I give myself an extra half hour. I'm going to take an extra half hour. So I, I allow myself 50 minutes to make it to the appointment. I get out. I start driving. I get stuck in traffic. How am I feeling? I'm like, wow, man. <laughs> I'm sure glad I allowed myself a half hour. And you just kind of chill because you know, you know, it's going to be tight, but I'm, I'm going to make it. Inside, your quality of life is entirely different because your expectations were realistic. This is important in all of life. I'm just trying to set up why the Jews fell into the trap that they did because their perception was subjective and selective. They were flawed in what they were looking for. They let their desires guide what they were seeing. Therefore, their expectations had to be inaccurate. They wanted to see Jesus as a political, militaristic figure. And when he was not, when he allowed himself to be beaten and nailed to a cross, they were like, you are not the guy, man. You're not the guy we're looking for. We're looking for somebody that's going to put a fist in the face of the Roman Empire. So this is why they missed. And this is important because now, now each of us as we sit here today, this is difficult. I, I don't mean to be offensive, but this is the truth. As we sit here today, we all have a set of expectations, right or incorrect, accurate or inaccurate, but also we all have a perception in our minds of God. Every one of us in this room has a, perce a perception, a picture of what we believe God is like. Let me give you an idea of how flawed this can be and how, how bad it can be. It's, it's not unusual for me to have conversations with people where they will say something kind of like this. It's like, you know, I was walking with God and, and I was all on board, man. I was, I was all committed. And then, and then he, let, he let my granny cornpone, he let granny cornpone suffer and granny cornpone died. And I, that was it for me, man. When Granny Cornpone died, when the Lord let Granny Cornpone die, I, Granny Cornpone is a funny name, by the way. Uh, I, I, was, I was done with God. If he let my Granny Cornpone suffer, I'm finished with him. How many of you have had conversations similar to that? Can I see your hands? Churches are full of people that know people that walked away from God because their perception of God was this, that if he loves me and if he's almighty, he should work things out in my life that granny cornpone should live forever. Now, that's just an example. It could be uh, any other thing. It could be, uh, therefore, my career should be going the way I wanted it to or my marriage or my health or any number of things. False perception of God. But here's the deal. You have a perception of God. I have a perception of God as we stand here today. The question is, is it accurate or is it one that we created based on our desires? One of the popular things that we hear in our society today is, hey man, you know, you just got to accept me for who I am and, and I, I got to live by my truth. My truth and your truth might not might be different, man. You got to just let me live my truth. God understands me. God, God accepts me in my truth. No, he doesn't or he wouldn't be a good God. Uh, there either is the truth and Jesus said he is the truth, the way, the life or truth is useless if God would have allowed listen I just want to be very frank with you about something if, if God would have allowed me if he would have said Randy at age 23 Randy I, 
I accept you, man. You know, you, you, you've given me the nod. You've put your, your trust in me. I just want you to know, Randy, I accept you. Just do whatever you want, man. I'm, I'm going to take you home ultimately, but you're fine just like you are. Live out your truth, Randy. He would have been a lousy father. He would not have been a good God, and I would have been probably either dead or in jail, okay? Love sometimes says, son, daughter, you've got to stop this. You've got to learn this. You've got to redirect your life. Because I love you, I'm going to tell you the truth. There's no my truth. There is only the truth. And so our perception of God, if it's not completely anchored in the Scripture, our perception of God is probably built by our subjective, selective perception, which is our desires. We build God to to fit into our image, our desires, and that is extremely dangerous because the real God is so much better than our desires. He knows what is best and he wants what's best. All right, the paradox. Now this term paradox, and a series is about paradoxes because for we humans, spiritual truth as it's found in the, the word of God, often it comes to us in the form of a paradox. Now a paradox is something that it is true, it is accurate, but it appears to be inaccurate or untrue or even absurd a paradox okay so something that's true but it but it kind of looks like it can't be true why is it that spiritual things tend to first first encounter be that way with us well one reason is this we don't know how much we don't know you ever had anybody tell you that I had somebody tell me that once and I've never forgotten it it was very humbling and very accurate <laughs> we don't know how much we don't know the other thing is, is we don't know how much Christ, the creator, the sustainer of the universe, does know. It always cracks me up that people think that, you know, well, I let God kind of direct this, this religious part of my life, but when it comes to my business, man, I, that's a different thing. You've got you to run your business a different way. Really? So you know more about business than Jesus, the creator of the universe. I think not. What you're saying is, is you think you can make your business more profitable doing it your way than his. Is profit the goal or is an honest income the goal? Well, that's a whole different message. Paradoxes, because we don't know how much we don't know, and we have a hard time admitting it, and we don't know how much Jesus does know, and we have a hard time accepting that. That's why spiritual truth often comes to us in the form of paradox. Now, I'm going to introduce a portion of Scripture today. It's the key portion of Scripture in which we're going to find our first paradox in this journey of six weeks. I'm going to have to give you a little bit of background when we get to that, but let me put it on the screen. So we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 8, verse 34, but let me tell you what's happening in the verses that go before. And when you read the Bible, you should always read it in context. Uh, we have to rightly handle the word of truth. It says in 1 Timothy 2.15, or 2 Timothy 2.15. So Jesus is in Caesarea, and all of a sudden he turns on his disciples, and he says, uh, who do people say that I am? And they say, oh, well, you know, some say you're Elijah, some say you're that prophet, some say, you know, you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. And Jesus kind of more or less goes, hmm. And then he turns to them. They've been with him at this point for two years. This, this portion of scripture starts at the beginning of the third year of Jesus' three and a half year ministry. It is the third year of what's often called the year of opposition. The crowds were building and building in the first two years and Jesus was getting so much acclaim. But in the third year, Jesus' political religious enemies started pressuring him and the third year becomes that, that slow grind toward the cross and his persecution. So he turns to his disciples and he says, who do you say that I am? And that's a whole different thing. 
all of a sudden Peter pops off and Peter says you're you're the Christ you're the, which means the Messiah you're the Christ you're the Messiah you're the son of the living God and Jesus says flesh and blood didn't reveal you reveal that to you Peter my father in heaven meaning that Peter saw God as he really is in Jesus he knew that was a spiritual revelation because Peter's heart was in a condition to desire the the truth about God and the truth about life anyway the next thing Jesus says to him he says okay he says I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be taken and crucified and killed. But on the third day, I'm, I'm going to rise again from the dead. And Peter's like, hey, shh, come, come here, come here, Lord. He pulls Jesus aside. He says, you've got to stop, man. This is bad for business. You, you can't be talking that way. You're going, to, you're going to chase the crowds away. And Jesus says, how many of you remember what he, what, what he calls Peter? Anybody? Satan. Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan, because you're concerned about the things of man not the things of God meaning that you're thinking like humans think you're, you're not thinking in terms of spiritual reality you're not thinking in terms of eternity you're thinking in terms of time and your perception is off and your expectations are off about the Messiah and he says you're, you're not considering the greater issues Peter and then he launches into this, this episode that we're going to read so he, he goes from just addressing the 12 that now he calls people to himself here we go then calling the crowd to join his disciples he said if any of you wants to be my what does it say time out let's pause and see what he didn't just say he asked if any of you this is a mass of people he's saying this to if any of you wants to be my follower here's what he didn't say he didn't say if any of you wants to go to heaven he didn't say that he didn't say, if any of you wants eternal life. Didn't say that. He, he didn't even say, if any of you wants to have your sins forgiven. He didn't say that. So, where do we get this idea that these things, this, this idea of going to heaven and having eternal life and forgiveness of sins, that it comes before, that it's somehow a separate package deal that we can work out with God you know, we, we, we can work this salvation thing, get our ticket punched, be sure we're going to heaven and all like that without being his follower. Folks, it, it's just not there. It's impossible for it to be there. So Jesus is asking, let's, let's kind of really pull the, the props out from under this. Does anyone want to be my follower? He's saying, is any of you attracted to me? Is any of you attracted to what I'm teaching? Is any, any of you attracted to what you see of God in me and, and what I'm teaching about God and about his kingdom a any of you see something that you want to be like me he's asking two questions do you like me and do you want to be like me that's all encompassed in being a follower of Jesus here's a good place to stop and ask ourselves in a world where everybody's following somebody who am I following am I a follower of myself which is what most of us do where am I follower of Jesus? And I've always said, if you can find anyone better to follow than Jesus, by all means, follow them. But if you can't find anybody better, why not do what millions of the best and the brightest and everything and everyone in between have done and put your trust in Jesus and become his follower? Calling the crowd, he joined his disciples. He said, if any of you wants to be my follower, now here comes the condition. He's saying, if you really want to follow me, this is, this is what you're going to have to be willing to do. You're not going to be able to follow me unless you're willing to do this. You must give up your what? Your own way. Whoa, wait a minute now. What, what does that mean, give up my own way? You, you mean I'm not going to be able to do what I want to do when I want to do it, how I want to do it? Yes, that's what it means. 
You mean I'm going to have to learn a whole different way of thinking and responding to situations? Yes. You mean I'm going to have to learn a whole different value system and I'm going to have to change my value system, my goals, my dreams, my pursuits? Yes. You mean, wait a minute. You mean, Lord, I'm going to have to trust you more than I trust myself? Yes. All those things. Folks, we're, we're way too religious. We, we think that we can do these certain religious exercises, compartmentalize our life and appease God, get him off our back and on our side, and he loves us. He's a relational being. He authentically wants to be liked for himself, trusted for himself. He wants to live in a mutually desirable, enjoyable relationship with we image-bearing beings. And of course, because he's so good and kind and loving, he won't settle for anything else. He won't force himself on us. He'll, he'll let us frankly walk away to the breaking of his own heart if any of you wants to be my follower you must give up your own way take up your what cross and follow me now this is why this was so critical for the Jews to hear expectations they expected the Messiah was going to overthrow the Roman government and they were going to have power prestige popularity wealth pleasure their exterior circumstances were going to be made tremendous by the Messiah Jesus saying, guys, you gotta, get a, you gotta get your head straight. Following me is not gonna bring you what you think. You expect that following me is gonna bring you power and prestige and pleasure and, and your heart's desire. He said, in this world, no, no, no. In this world, following me is gonna bring you a cross. Now, every Jew there knew what the cross meant. A cross was a Roman death punishment. And when you saw somebody walking through the streets dragging a cross, they were, they were going to their death. They were not admired. They were not praised. They were not given prestige. They were looked upon as criminals, and in most cases, they authentically were. But Jesus is saying, if you're going to be my follower, if you're going to follow the real Messiah, you're going to be looked down upon. You're not going to be looked up to. You're going to be considered one of the deplorables. You're going to be considered a nuisance. You're going to be considered someone that society doesn't like, doesn't admire, doesn't feel like you get it, doesn't feel like you're the kind of person they want to be that's too narrow-minded, too demanding, too judgmental. Need I go on with the list? You're going to have to take up your cross. <laughs> this, this cross thing is funny. Through the years, churchy people have come up with all sorts of notions about what Jesus meant with the cross. Uh, you know, my cross... My cross is that strong-willed child of mine. That boy won't do anything and I tell him, but he is, he is my cross God has given to humble my heart. Or that cross is that mother-in-law. She's the worst old woman I've ever known, you know. No, that cross is that lower back pain. No, no, he didn't mean any of that. He's trying to correct the expectations of the Jews. He's saying, guys, if you're gonna follow me, I want you to understand what your life is actually gonna be like. You're not gonna get what you think you're gonna get. You're gonna get what you really don't want. Do you still wanna follow me? Now, he promised it would be worth it. He says, the sufferings that we endure in this life are not to be compared to the glory that we're gonna experience forever. You see, Jesus sees everything perfectly clear. He knows that this life that we have in this world, it is a speck, it is a second. It is like grass that grows and grass that dies. It is like a vapor that appears for an instant and vanishes forever. The scripture says all these things. He knows that eternity is long and he knows that eternity is the world we're, we're wired for, we're built for, where everybody's kind, everybody's good, everybody's safe, everybody's secure, everybody's loved, nobody's lonely, nobody has any physical, emotional, or mental pain of any kind. And he says that, that world is real. He sees it. He sees all the realities. He sees the endless angelic ancient civilizations with their teeming billions that we cannot see. And so Jesus' answers are sometimes paradoxical because he's seeing the big picture. We're seeing a sliver. 
you must give up your own way Jesus saying I I can't lead you into the life that you were meant to experience you won't develop to become who you were meant to become and you won't be able to do what you're meant to do unless you give up your way and learn my way in every area of our lives and the cross forget about your reputation he's saying if you follow me you might not be liked how many of you know that society has changed radically just in the past two or three years and that the likelihood is being a follower of Jesus is going to be less and less popular in the next five years how many would agree with that statement I could go way on about that but I think we all can see the handwriting on the wall so this cross thing becomes significant and of course and follow me which means I'm going to continue to learn his word his will I'm going to continue to do what he says when I want to and when I don't want to because I trust him more than I trust myself that is what it means to be a Christian all right it goes on if you try to hang on to your life meaning you try to hang on to doing things your way you know our way my will you will lose it so if you try to keep it Jesus says you're going to lose it you're not going to gain it you're going to lose it but if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news you will save it there's the paradox that we have to be willing to lose our life for Jesus and his message in order to save our life he goes on what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul is anything worth more than your soul so the paradox here we have it again losing one's life to find it we, we say that just sounds crazy man because in, in this world it's kind of like the more power you have to do what you want when you want how you want get what you want experience what you want that's what that's what gives you the, the life worth living Jesus says, no no you're going to see it's when you align yourself with me your creator and you live the way I designed you to live that you'll find life now here's the key there is exterior happiness which is based on what is happening at the moment it doesn't last and it can't penetrate inside how many of you have read stories about these uh, incredibly wealthy celebrities that are miserable you know they're usually drug addicted and they're fine how many of you have, it's embarrassing but how many have just caught a little bit of the Johnny Depp story just this past week be, be yeah so here's this guy you know he's got 200 million bucks but, but he's a miserable human being clearly so exterior things have nothing to do with having life life is on the inside it's when I'm living in alignment with my creator and his principles the way he's wired me I find life love peace and joy they come as a result of living the way God himself lives thinking the way God himself thinks I go through life with a servant's town saying how can I bless you what can I give you what can I do for you instead of what are you going to give me what can I get out of you okay there's the difference we're living like God himself lives and learning to love like God himself loves losing one's life Jesus says you won't lose anything you'll find it in this world and you'll have it everything that you've ever dreamt of in the world to come now I want to show you a little diagram that will I hope try to explain to some degree why this is hard for us I'm well aware that yielding control of our life to someone else's leadership is hard even if the someone else is the creator of the universe here's why now Adam and Eve when they were born or when they came into conscious existence they were they were face to face with God I mean Jesus was physically present in the Garden of Eden with them they could talk with him just like we can talk with one another they could see him they, they could touch him uh, they could hear him they were physically in God's presence they lived in a perfect environment perfect world that they knew was built for them so that's not how we're born they were born in the garden of eden you and i were born in the garden of evil 
There's a big difference. We're born cut off from God. We can't see him. We can't hear him. We don't know if he's there or not. We have an uncertain, because we're cut off from God at birth, we have an uncertain sense of significance. This is why people struggle with self-esteem and we do all these crazy things comparing ourselves to others so that we feel a bit better about ourselves for two seconds. doesn't work. We don't have security. We're always trying to make sure we're, we're going to have enough and be safe and protected. And we struggle with satisfaction. We get little pieces here and there, but we're never quite satisfied, you know. Because we're cut off from God, uncertain sense of significant security and satisfaction we also are born as creatures that are sense governed here's what i mean by that if i can't see it taste it feel it hear it or smell it i am not sure that it exists my spiritual senses have been demolished when adam and eve broke trust with god they lost uh, the ability to see into the spiritual realms and con connect uh, in a in a sensual way for want of a better term with spiritual beings I'm also time-bound. I, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I know that I have a start and a stop, but I don't know what's in between. And then that leads to the fear of death driven. I am driven unconsciously by the fear of death. I don't know how much time I have. None of us knows how much time we have. This then leads to these next set of things. My governing uh, push in life, my drive, is self-preservation. Number one, I try to stay alive. Just protect myself as long as I can. Number two, self-gratification. I try to find all the pleasure, all the joy, whatever makes me happy, whatever I enjoy, I try to get as much as I can. My default philosophy of life becomes this. Enjoy all you can for as long as you can. And I could add to that because that's all there is for anyone. Is that your unconscious philosophy of life? I hope not. I hope not, but it could be because that's the unconscious philosophy of life for the, the majority of human beings, the best, the brightest, and everything in between because when we're cut off from God, unless we, we connect with him again, get his word, his will, his truth back into our minds, this is all we have. This is the kind of creatures we are. So when we're in this condition, we tend to want a certain kind of a, a Messiah, just like the Jews. They wanted a power Messiah, a militaristic Messiah, a Messiah that was going to load their pockets down with gold, a Messiah that was going to make them popular, you know, so everybody liked them. Everywhere they went, people took notice. That's the kind of Messiah they want, a Messiah that would fix our exterior circumstances. So let's consider that. Let's consider the Messiah of human desire, Okay. I'm not going to go deep into this, but I'm, I'm just going to ask you to think for a moment. And I know this kind of catches people off guard, but have you ever had a time in your life where you were not that pleased about something, but as you were pondering whatever it is, you, you said something to yourself like, if only. And, and just to get your, your mind going a little bit, if only my boss was a real human being. You know, man, my life would be okay. To, if only, you know, my spouse was different if only i could get rid of that physical pain if only i could i could block out that thing that happened to me in my childhood but it, it just keeps coming if only if only if only if only that's exterior things we all have them i'm not delegitimizing them i'm just saying that causes us to mold and shape the messiah based on our subjective selective desires okay we wanted a, a messiah that's going to fix that if only that's going to intervene circumstantially and fix the if only because we think if the if only gets fixed we get fixed but we don't we, we, we just get a little less unfixed for the moment let me share some verses with you 
this philosophy of the power, the exterior uh, you know, things that can be added to our life as the greatest need of a human. The devil is very familiar with it. Whatever you want to call him, the devil, Lucifer, Satan, it's all the same character, a very powerful, intelligent, ancient, uh, angelic being. It says the devil led him. The him is Jesus. This is when Jesus was being tempted. He had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He was preparing for his ministry. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. Here's the power again, the exterior, if only. It has been given to me, and I, will gi- and I can give it to anyone I want to. I'm not sure that was true. I think Satan was lying to him. He's a master liar. If you do what? Worship me, it will all be yours. Now, what does worship mean? It means I'm going to give you supreme worth in my life, which in this case... Satan was saying, if you give me your submitted, uh, your, if you submit to me, to my leadership, I'll give you everything you could ever want. He's saying, look, you, you can bring multitudes to yourself right now without ever going to that nasty, undesirable cross. You, you can fix the political scenes. You, you can redistribute the world's wealth, but is that going to really fix what's wrong with us? As you, I mean, if, if I could instantly, in the blink of an eye, heal every physical disease, give everybody all the money they were going to need in this lifetime, uh, secure them, you know, so that nothing was bad going to happen to them, would that really be enough? Would that stop hatred? Would that stop prejudice? Would that stop abandonment? Would that stop cruelty? Would that stop, you know, rejection? I mean, I could just go right on down the line. No, it wouldn't. No. But this is, this is the bait. You need more on the outside. And Satan's more than willing to offer that to you as he did Jesus. Let me show you one more. The book of 1 John, the apostle John says to us, a man of experience, he says, don't love this world's ways. He says, you, you know, I know it's seductive. I know it's enticing. I know the majority of people are doing it. He says, but don't you. Don't love this world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father practically everything that goes on in the world wanting your own way wanting everything for yourself wanting to appear how important has nothing to do with the father it goes on it just isolates you from him the world and all it's wanting 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 is on the way out short shelf life but whoever does what god wants is set for what eternity because we're already learning to live the way God lives and to love the way God loves and that's the only way that the universe can live in eternal peace is when we live the way God himself lives and learn to love the way he loves that's what this journey on this planet is supposed to be about so here's our greater problem the 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 Jews wanted a Messiah that was going to deal with the symptoms but not deal with the real disease the real disease was a spiritual one I have it you have it we have it when we get reconnected with God it's broken but but let me just show you three things about us our real problem is our disconnection from our creator disconnection meaning we we distrust him we disregard him we're disinterested in him there was certainly a time in my life where I was absolutely disinterested in God because whatever picture I had of him he was not somebody that I was drawn to okay it was an inaccurate picture I had but nevertheless it governed me disconnection with God is our greater problem we need a Messiah that can solve that distrust in our creator we need a Messiah that can solve that disobedience to our creator when we disobey God we only hurt ourselves and those around us when we misuse these bodies minds opportunities even funds that he gives us all these things we hurt not just ourselves 
we hurt others. So a real Messiah has to deal with these root issues. That wasn't the Messiah the Jews want. Sometimes it's not the Messiah we want. We don't want, want the Messiah that's going to fix the exterior. So let's go on now and connect, or excuse me, let, let's connect with the Messiah of divine design. We looked at the one of, of human desire. Here's the one of divine design. That Messiah has to take the disconnection and bring connection with humans and God again. Has to take our distrust and turn it to trust. Has to take our disobedience and turn it to obedience. That's a, that's a powerful undertaking. I'm going to show you exactly how, in just a couple of verses, how God has accomplished that in Christ. Here we go, Colossians. In the New Testament, Paul writing to followers of Christ living in the city of Colossae, he says, for God was pleased to have all his, what does it say, what is the word? fullness dwell in him the him is in Christ pause for a minute let me explain what that means it's saying that that everything there is about God everything that can be known everything that can be experienced everything that ancient angelic civilizations that have been here way before we existed have ever known about God they couldn't see it either all the fullness of God everything that can be known about God has now been deposited as it was in Jesus of Nazareth in his life his teaching his miracles and most importantly in a sacrificial death now even these angel, ancient angelic civilizations see things about God that they could never have known before let me go on for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile bring back into trust into closeness and to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things where in heaven there there are angelic civilizations that need this image of God this full picture making peace through his blood shed on the cross let me let me give you what this saying because I can tell you it's not easy to connect to this verse how many remember what happened when Adam and Eve broke trust with God in the garden of Eden and then God came into the garden as he was, you know, prone to do each day, and they hear his voice. How many remember what Adam and Eve do? Real quick, just shout it out, anybody. They ran and they hid. So instead of running t toward God like they had in the past, when he came to go, oh, Lord, it's so good to see you. What are you going to teach us today? Man, we're glad to be with you today. They run away from God because they no longer trusted him Satan had slandered God they bought the slander that God was just all about power and keeping people down keeping people under control that he was holding back from them and so instead of running toward God they ran away from him God has to do something if he's going to really rescue us if he's going to be the Messiah that delivers us from what our real ailment is he has to change this image this perception he has to create an image of himself that is accurate but that draws us an image that we we run toward him instead of away from it. Listen, you and I know an almighty God is not a comfortable being to try to interact with because we feel so vulnerable. We, we know we're imperfect. We know we've sinned. We know we've broken his laws, probably broken his heart. We have guilt. We have shame. We have fear of him because he could just, just in one blink of an eye bring us into, you know, or take us out of existence. So these are big barriers, fear, guilt, shame between us. And so we need a God that shows himself so for us so in love with us so merciful so forgiving that we start running toward him once again instead of running away from him and that is what God did with showing himself in Christ on the cross here is God in Jesus on the cross saying I love you this much that even though you've nailed me to a cross you use my name as a cuss word you break everything I've ever given you including my heart I still love you I still want you 
trust me return to me be reconciled to me I still want to carry out the plan that I've always had for you all eternity God has revealed himself comprehensively now in Christ particularly in his sacrificial death on the cross it shows that the almighty God is governed by sacrificial love he he, he is the only truly good being in the universe that has never misused the power that, that he has so this is all what the real Messiah would do. He's got to solve this greater problem of disconnection, distrust, and disobedience. He's got to make us want to draw near once again, and he accomplished this in Christ. Let me share one more scripture with you, and we'll get ready to land this thing. Second Corinthians 5, Paul says, And he, meaning Jesus, he died for all. Why? Why did Jesus die for all, Paul? That those who live should no longer live for who? Themselves. Themselves. But for him who died for them and was raised again. How do we start this? Jesus says, if you want to find your life, you've got to lose your life for my sake and the message. So here's the same thing reiterated. It's saying that he died for us to win our trust, to bring us back into union with himself so that we'd run toward him and his will and his word and his ways instead of away from him so that we can be the beings that he always created us to be. But for him who died for them and was raised again. Now, I'm going to close with an illustration of why a real Messiah, a real Christ, a real Savior has to treat the real problem which is inside of each of us as opposed to just doctoring up the outside, which is what we want at various times in our life. Uh, I knew a woman, this goes back decades ago, and um, she worked, she was a secretary, and she worked for some doctors and she developed lower back pain. She was 45, 44 years old, uh, 45, uh, about a year from there. But anyway, 44, developed some back pain. It's not uncommon. You know, most of us Americans, we get lower back pain at some time or another. So because she worked for these doctors, she could hit them up for painkillers pretty, pretty easily. And so they, they gave her probably more than they should have. So they'd give her the painkillers, and the pain would stop for a month or so, and then the pain would start back, and she'd go back to them, and they'd get more painkillers. And this thing went on and on and on like this. And then all of a sudden, after a year of battling this back problem, this lady wakes up one day, and she can't keep any food down. This goes on for one day, then a second day, then a third day, fourth day. She can hardly stand up. They have to rush her to the hospital. She's rushed to the hospital. No sooner she gets admitted in the hospital, her one lung collapses. Well, well they're in a quandary. What, what is going wrong here? You know, what, what's happening? Well... They do some, you know, testing and things like that. And what they find out is that this back pain was really just masking pain from a different place in her body. Uh, in fact, she, I'm not trying to be gross here or anything. In fact, she had um, had cancer in her female organs. It had now, by this time, spread into her stomach because they were masking the pain. And so she didn't even consider that it might be something else. She got to the hospital and within two weeks she was dead four days of hitting the hospital she was comatose and like I say in a total of 14 days she was dead 45 years old is how old my mother was when she died of cancer because she was treating the outside problems masking the pain instead of dealing with the real issues the real Christ the real Messiah that really loves us and really wants to save us mostly from ourselves in our own limited focused desires he's got to 
win our trust so that in every area of our life we're willing to lose our ways our will and embrace his ways and his will Jesus said if you want to save your life you got to be willing to lose it for me and for the sake of the message so let's go back to where we started subjective selective perception the Jews missed their Messiah because they made a Messiah of their own desire from their mind and their desires it was subjective it was selective perception they from that developed inaccurate unrealistic expectations and of course made themselves miserable not only did they reject the real Messiah but the Romans came and trampled them within 35 years of Jesus death and they ceased to become a nation so you and I are prone to do this we're prone to make God in our image instead of the way it really is meant to work we're made in his image so we've got to ask ourselves this question and I think we need to ask this question often all through our developmental journey is my perception of God based on what I have found for myself in his word if we are not going to his word not learning not studying it for ourselves all you have is a fragment of what someone has told you even me now I always obviously try to give you accuracy from the word of God but I'm telling you you need I need we need to be going to God's word to see who he really is and then secondly have we adjusted our expectations according to his word because nowhere in his word does it say that we're going to be having the ball always bounce our way remember Jesus said we've got to take up that cross he was saying we have to accept that in this life we might have trouble in fact Jesus went so far as saying John 16 in this life you will have trouble but he said be of good cheer I've overcome the world so in this life we might not have that if only that if only sometimes has to wait until eternity because Jesus knows that really the if only we think we need and want it's not going to suffice but what he's going to give us in eternity will more than suffice but in time what we need is let the let the stress let the pain of the if only draw us move us toward God and we'll find that he's more he's more than enough so what is your perception of God like as you sit here today what are your expectations of God like because your expectations our expectations will certainly determine the level of our our quality or the quality of our joy and our peace in life let's pray father we thank you that you have openly exhaustively ex displayed your heart your mind your thoughts your plans your purposes your, your methodologies you have laid it all out so that we don't have to have any any doubts whatsoever I pray that your spirit will just continue to stir each of us that we won't be satisfied with fragments of understanding of who you really are and that we won't be happy until we allow your spirit and your word to reconstruct all of our expectations until they're accurate. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.